Squatchers, and welcome back to your one-stop shop for all things strange and unusual, talking with shadows. The conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Whaley. And Marcus D. And we want to give a big shout-out live from the Virginia Sasquatch Festival here in YRK, Virginia. And give a big round of applause for you guys coming out to our talk today. <laughs> that was awesome. You guys um, are going to make all of our fans jealous because they are at home listening and you guys are that's here. That's right. I had you guys clap, not for my own vanity, but just because our wives don't believe that anybody wants to listen to us talk. It's for his vanity. Don't no. let him lie. For it. So, yeah. Um, so, we wanted to give a big shout out, uh, by the way, to Daniel and everybody here at the festival for inviting us out. This is our first speaking engagement, so we are super Super excited. And so we thought a really cool topic to come out and talk to you guys about is how to debate with skeptics. How many times have you guys been talking to somebody who doesn't believe in Bigfoot and they're just so close-minded? You're nodding over there. I see it. I know the pain in your heart. I get it. I get it. And then they always come up with the dumbest arguments against Bigfoot's existence. And we got kind of tired of it. So when Daniel invited us up, we thought it would be a really great idea to help you guys prepare when you guys are debating with the skeptics and the normies out there. So a little bit more about us and why Daniel invited us out here. Uh, so me and Vic here, we are members of what's called One Candle Society. So our paranormal investigative group uh, out of Evansville, Indiana. We drove eight and a half hours out to be here, and it was rough riding with Vic the entire time out here. We're from Indiana. We're not used to mountains, guys. We, we, we saw mountains, and we were like, ah, a monster, and we freaked out and drove for about an hour the other way. He, he is not used to mountains. I used to work up in the Poconos season survival. I, I knew what it was. Oh, my gosh. It was freaking me out. But we started our paranormal investigative group in 2014, and uh, you can catch us on YouTube. That's where we got started as a, uh, putting all of our content up. Uh, we were found in 2014, and there are tons and tons of things uh, that we put up on our YouTube. We got paranormal case files where we go over different paranormal topics. Uh, we got something called Candlelight Strolls where we went around the Midwest talking about all of our really favorite paranormal topics that that's really cool special about the midwest uh, like i know michael was talking about stuff from kentucky uh, bigfoot stuff that he saw down in kentucky and we love that stuff so we got a whole section just for that and we put up paranormal top five videos uh, in 2019 everybody had been telling us the whole time they're like vic marcus you guys sound like you should start a podcast so what did we do vic we started a podcast yeah we <laughs> we're, we're, we're here doing a podcast i know I mean, come on man i'm just saying so in 2019, we decided to start a podcast called Talking with Shadows, and you can catch us on any uh, streaming platform uh, at all, and we put up weekly episodes talking about all sorts of fun paranormal stuff, including Bigfoot. But not just Bigfoot. We specialize in the obscure, the weird. The entire time we were sitting back there and we were listening to Mr. Nighthawk's presentation, he was name-dropping all different types of paranormal entities. Oh my gosh, we were so excited, weren't we? 
I about lost my mind. We mentioned Glimmerman. Glimmerman does not get mentioned enough. I know that we thought that we were like the only ones that would know. That was so cool for him to talk about. So you can go, if you guys are interested in really weird stuff that people have just never heard of, that's a good reason to go check us out. We got stuff on something called static people that are people made out of TV static. Something called the Harlequin, which is this weird like jester joker monster that pops up in people's rooms. Freaky. And actually, one of the things that we're actually known for is a paranormal cryptid from Evansville, Indiana called the Green Clawed Beast. We have the most popular viewed YouTube about that particular creature up on our YouTube, and it's definitely a good reason to go check us out. So what we thought we would do like today, like we talked a little bit about some of our presentation objectives. One of the things that we want you guys to be able to walk away from our talk about is learning some of the most common skeptic arguments against the, the existence of Bigfoot. And there's a big misconception on where science really lies. First, a lot of people talk about something called settled science. Anyone, anyone in the field of science can tell you there is literally no such thing as settled science. No such Science thing. is an ongoing conversation. It is never Absolutely. settled. Also, a lot of the arguments that people use against Bigfoot, if you know anything about primatology or any general biological studies, you would understand that there is a greater emphasis put on the skepticism to this creature than anything normal within taxonomy. It's not even fair. It's not even fair just how much that they will just write off the existence of Bigfoot. But we've got some arguments, and we think that we're going to be able to help you guys. And we'll be able to always walk away with some actual counter-arguments to a lot of the different most common Bigfoot uh, arguments uh, that they will uh, skeptics will put forward. Uh, and as well as one of the things that we really like to do whenever we're doing presentations is to help people realize they are not alone in believing in Bigfoot. Y'all heard Michael Cook's presentation. 2,000 reports of Bigfoots in North America alone. So that's definitely something we want you guys to take away from our talk today. All right. So I have come up with a foolproof system to never lose a debate with your skeptic friends when arguing about Bigfoot. Don't have skeptic friends. Worst, worst argument ever. Worst argument that is the ever. best hate it, hate it. argument ever. You do not need that kind of negativity in your life. And it will definitely help you never lose an argument against Bigfoot. Like Mr. Miyagi says, best way to win a fight, no be there. Oh, my God. It's still terrible. Let's get to some real arguments. Let's get to some real arguments. All right. The first common objection that I'm sure that you guys have ever had to deal with when you're debating with skeptics is, is if Bigfoot is real, how come we haven't found a body? You know, like Bigfoot, you know, if he's out there, we'd probably run across a dead body, wouldn't we? For anyone who's big into survival, big into forestry, or spends a lot of time in the woods, you don't really come across intact carcasses very often. You'll find a bone here, you'll find a bone there, and it's usually in places where water runs to. We know bears exist, and we barely find bodies of them in the woods. I mean, seriously, that's something that, that just really speaks out to me. When we first started uh, talking about, uh, about this particular argument, we realized that, like, uh, most people, like, if you, like, asked, if you asked, like, uh, forest, uh, like, national park staff, what, like, how many bear carcasses do you guys find out in the woods? Like, they would be, like, maybe one bear carcass a year, maybe. The statistics are actually way worse than that. I was looking at an article the other day. Katami National Park and Preserve in Alaska has some of the densest populations of bears 
anywhere in the world, okay? And during the last 36 years, they have only found 13 cases of bear deaths that have been documented in that preserve. They found 13 bear carcasses in the last 36 years. That's one bear carcass every three years, okay? So it's not like there's just, it's an easy thing for us to find some of these things out there in the woods. Actually, here's another interesting thing. Um, uh, me and my wife love to go down to the Smoky Mountains down in Tennessee uh, to go down there. They have black bears down there everywhere everywhere down there. They have black bears so much down there that we don't have in Indiana. I was freaking out. They surrounded our cabin when we were on vacation and I called in a panic to the owner of the property and their best question was, well, are they big bears or little bears? I'm like, I'm not so much concerned about the size as much as the quantity of bears. <laughs> around my cabin right now and they're not concerned so much you've got to have like locks and stuff on your trash when you're out there uh and again they rarely find those bodies out in the woods so this is just to say that's not as an easy thing for us to be able to find out there the wilderness around in this area with there being bears it's a totally different game i taught survival in indiana for years and years and years before i taught survival in pennsylvania i never had to worry about bears and then one day the guy who runs the camping area is like Hey, uh, could you grab your bow and come down here? And I'm like, well, why? Oh, yeah, there's, there's a bear outside uh, the uh, mess hall, and we need someone to take care of it. No. <laughs> I took the longest route I could through the woods to get back to there. And thankfully, it was gone by the time, by the time oh, that yeah. you got there. I wasn't going to shoot a bear. Okay. There's a bit of a misconception on when we're talking about fossils. One of the most famous fossils is Lucy. We, when you look at how much of Lucy we actually have, it's about this much. Uh, it's not like you go out there and you often find full, complete fossils. You find bits and pieces, and then it takes years for someone to construct. What did this animal look like from bits and pieces? And then there's a lot of inference. But beyond that... The better question is this, on where's the, where is it in the fossil record? Well, we might already have it. It's not like we do not have large primates. It's not like we do not have large hominins. If you looked at, like, say, uh, a gigantopithecine, a really, really big hominid, if you saw that walking around today, you would say that's a Bigfoot. There, and there's very little doubt of that. I'm pretty sure any of us looking at it would just say, boom, that's what it is. All right. So maybe that you're debating with the skeptics and they're like, okay, maybe that's the reason why we haven't found a dead, like uh, uh, a dead uh, Bigfoot in the woods. Okay, maybe the, maybe the heat is in the fossil records and all of that. Well, then let me ask you a question. Then, If Bigfoot is real, how come we cannot catch a live Bigfoot? Okay. When it comes to finding animals out in dense wilderness, it can create a lot of extreme challenges. Specialists looking for leopards, even in woods and jungles that they know these leopards exist, will often spend five years to only have one or two encounters with said leopard. But you might think, yeah, obviously, big jungle, small cat, sure. It's even worse with elephants. No kidding, jungle elephants. In jungles, we know there are elephants there where scat has been found, where trails have been found. 
someone can spend 10 years exploring that area and not actually encounter the elephant. You might say, how, how is that possible? How can you not find an elephant in a jungle when you know there is an elephant in the jungle? Even herds of those elephants in that jungle. You're dealing with an intelligent creature that has enhanced senses in a dense environment that it isn't familiar with, and it doesn't want you to find it. With that set of circumstances, well, guess what? You're probably not going to find it. And a lot of these same attributes you can assign to Bigfoot. It is likely a creature highly familiar with its terrain. It likely has fairly enhanced senses compared to our relatively dull ones. And truthfully, I think it has very little incentive to be found by humans. If it's like, if we take the assumption that it is a hominid, well, humans, we have a bad track record with other hominids. If you look back through the fossil record, what did humans do when they found other hominids? We wiped them out in almost every situation. There was some interbreeding with Neanderthal, but there was also a lot of signs that we killed them. It probably even has an instinctual fear much like we do of snakes and spiders, of other hominids. Yeah, like, if you think about some of the things, like, if you think about, like, our natural fear of the dark, right? Like, like we just, for some reason, just have this instinctual fear of the dark. Why do we have this fear of the dark? Again, because back ancient man knew if we went out of the dark by ourselves, we probably won't come back. <laughs> like, so for thousands of years, that has just been drilled into our head. In the dark, there are things that are going to get us. If you think about... Uh, a lot of paranormal encounters, like paranormal encounter stories. Uh, uh, if you guys listen to Mr. Nighthawk's uh, presentation, he talked a lot about this. Red glowing eyes, yellow glowing eyes. That's a trait that is often described in many different people's accounts of the paranormal, right, Vic? Okay. And if you think about that, why, why would something like that stand out, Vic? Like, why would it stand out for us to always be able to recognize, like, glowing eyes? Well... The, the little monkey boy who saw glowing eyes and went, maybe we should be concerned about that, lived a lot longer than the little monkey boy who saw the red glowing eyes and went, ah, that's not, that's not something we should be worried about. <laughs> like, that's not something that's going to get us. But, but another issue is an issue of exposure. Only 19% of Americans actually regularly go out into wooded areas. Almost the entirety of that percent remain on trails. You take that small percent and then also say, how many of them go off trails? Yeah. It's not, it's going to, you're going to reduce that by a lot more. How many then go one mile beyond a trail end? Like you're I'm, going to cut that population dramatically. You extend that further and further, you have a steep drop-off. Yes, some survivalists go into very deep forested areas. Some hunters go into very deep forested areas. But that's just a very small population. And we're talking about encounters with another small population the likelihood of those encounters just drops pretty steeply. And it's, it's almost like it's a coincidence that many of these hunters and people that go way, way out into the wilderness are often the ones with stories of seeing Bigfoots and Sasquatches and these other creatures that are out. You ever notice the person that always brings that argument up to you about how we could find these things out in the wilderness? They look like me. Okay, wearing a graphic t-shirt and jeans and sneakers looking like this guy probably doesn't even go 100 feet outside of trails, which is true because I don't have the survival skills like Vic to make it out of the woods, I would die. Um, but they are, they're, always those kind, they're, they're always those kinds of people. It's not easy. Go off those trails. It is not an easy trek through the woods. Uh, and often, too, many of those people uh, that, uh, that talk about this argument, I often bring up to them, think about those survival 
uh, uh, TV shows that you guys can watch on TV, like what to do, like if you're out in the woods and what to do? What's one of the most common things that they get told to do? You make yourself visible. Like waving your hands. You have to be brightly colored, like patterns of three X's across things, lighting fires. Like otherwise, chances of you getting found, not that great when you're out there. And that's often the reason. And people often go missing in the woods all the time. And again, these are, re- these are re- often reasons about why it's probably not as easy uh, for people to be able to find these things uh, out just in the woods. Uh, a really another animal that I like to compare Bigfoot to that you can do this with skeptics. I really, 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 really love doing this. I ask them this. Do you believe in the colossal squid? Right, yeah. A lot of them will believe in the colossal squid. We didn't find physical evidence of the colossal squid until 1925. Okay, and people have been talking about stories of the colossal squid for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, that animal is so hard to find. Ask the skeptic, do you believe in male colossal squid? And they'll be like, well, yeah, right? We found zero (laughs) male colossal squid in the wild. We have found, I think, three bodies total since 1925 since we've been recording this every single one of them has been female not one of them has been male of the ones that we have even if you google photos like if you look at our presentation today i have a artist drawing of a colossal squid because the rest of the photo evidence is just that terrible like the photo evidence of colossal squids they're blurry they're at a really bad angle and they're hard to find and they're sketch at best and i'm like does does that sound like somebody else that that we kind of know yeah kind of sounds like bigfoot doesn't it but for some reason everybody's willing to believe that bigfoot uh, that colossal squids exist but bigfoot that's out of the question like that, like that, that that's so hard to believe for that, that that's so hard for to believe for people. Okay, this is one of the ones that really, really bugs me, and you hear every freaking biologist talk about this. How could Bigfoot sustain itself in the wild? What is it eating? Where is it getting its food sources? Where it's getting its calories? Yeah. A big hominid with that much muscle requires a lot of calories. But it's not like we can't point out to other muscle-dense creatures living in similar environments. When you think of things like great apes, silverback gorillas, where are they getting the power to sustain those muscles? It's actually, they're not out there hunting a whole lot. They have a really fascinating adaptation. And a lot of primates have this called a sagittal crest. It is a bone ridge that runs up the skull if you have a dog and you feel that bone ridge going across the skull that's that crest the jaw muscles reach around and attach to it and guess what it lets you do chew like crazy gorillas get almost all their calories and they need a lot of calories from eating leaves a leaf has almost no calories you have to sit there and chew them literally all day and from most of the descriptions of a Bigfoot. It has that raised tissue area. It has that somewhat elongated skull, which implies it likely has a sagittal crest. A matter of fact, most hominids had this. We're in a rare category where we didn't have them. The humanity branch split in two. You have the grassings on one side. You have the robust on the other. Basically, you have the thin ones that don't have the crest, and you have the big bulky ones that do. 
And it really sounds like by any given description, if we're going to treat Bigfoot as a hominid, it really sounds like he would fit in this robust category and thus would make sense to have it, meaning we don't have to worry about him hunting like deer constantly all the time because he's going to be sitting there while he's doing any task, just chewing leaves, gaining what little calorie he can, and just making it up by sheer bulk. And there's no belief, right, that he can't that 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 Bigfoot aren't exact that can't be carnivores as well, being able to hunt out in the oh, wilderness yeah. either, right? Yeah, look at Neanderthals. When we look at Neanderthal settlements and what little records we have, Neanderthals could do some extremely amazing things with hunting. We we couldn't really get up close with a woolly rhino back in the Neolithic period and try to take it out up close because we're going to stab it with a spear. It's probably going to survive, and it's going to gore us. But interestingly enough, other very similarly related hominids to us, Neanderthals, could take a hit from these. We have ones that have bones broken that's consistent with them, and those bones show healing. That means many of these big, robust, powerful hominids could take hits from megafauna and survive long enough for them to begin healing. So... The idea that these things could not be highly capable hunters, they may hunt differently than us, but there's no reason to believe that they could not take down a deer using ambush tactics, using stealth, and possibly even using things like spears. Another objection that I really, really, really dislike, and, and it really kind of even offends me too, when people try to bring this up to us, it's people only make up Bigfoot sightings for attention and money, right? Like they talk, uh, Mr. My, uh, Mr. Cook was talking a lot during his presentation about 2,000 sightings in North America alone, 250,000 sightings worldwide. You bring that up to people all the time. Well, there's so many different sightings of Bigfoot. Why do people do that? Why do people do that? They're, they must be out for that uh, Bigfoot money. I'm telling you guys now, me and Vic here, we are professional podcasters. We make tens of dollars a year doing this. <laughs> Okay, it is. I'm telling. There are kids in the audience. I am telling you right now, being like, you know what I want to do? I want to be a Bigfoot podcast. I'm going to go get that Bigfoot money. We've been doing this since 2014, and I guarantee, if there was Bigfoot money to be found out there, we'd probably be first in line trying to get it. You know what? You know what? When you find it, tell us yeah. where it is. Please tell us where that Bigfoot money is, because it is. And and it really bothers me that a lot of people don't realize that so many Bigfoot eyewitnesses usually feel that they they have way more to lose reporting a bit uh, uh, than to gain from coming forward talking about Bigfoot. I mean, this really speaks to a lot when we when me and Vic very first started our po- uh, our par- paranormal investigative group, we actually came up with pen names like Marcus and Vic is not our real names. And the reason why we did that was because we were fearful when we were working in the social work field that if we came forward and we talked about our paranormal experiences that we had before or we talked about these things, uh, that it might hurt us professionally, we might get ostracized by our families and whatnot, people wouldn't really want to talk about us. How'd that turn out, Vic? It Ultimately, it worked out fine. People pegged us pretty quick by our voice. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like, for like, we actually ended up finding out that a lot more of our friends actually were really cool with us coming forward and talking and and and, ta- and talking about like uh, our actual paranormal experiences. Not only did most not care, a lot of them then stepped forward to share with us about their experiences, and we ended up learning a lot more just because of that. Yeah, like I, I, I it never fails to me whenever I'm talking with certain skeptics about the paranormal that they will always drop this line to me. They're like. 
Well, Marcus, I don't really believe in all that paranormal stuff. But let me tell you a story about something I saw. Like, they'll end up wanting me to tell about something particularly because they're afraid that people are going to think that, like, think that they're crazy and all of this. And that's just not the case uh, when this comes out. One of the things that I really like about, like, sharing so many different stories with people, especially about Bigfoot and things like that, was when you do that, you get to learn so much about other people's cultures and their, 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 their culture's experience with Bigfoot, their culture, like their culture and the background that they come from, terminology and things. It's a really cool experience whenever you're, you're engaging with somebody back and forth, right, about the stuff that, oh, that yeah. we've learned, right? Yeah, you learn a lot more when you actually actively engage, have your points challenged, and then sharpen your points and come right back. Mm-hmm. All right. So this last slide that we're going to show you guys, this last objection that, that I thought was kind of funny, we're going to talk about a little bit about that, and then we're going to go to a Q&A where you guys can bring objections you guys have heard that we haven't maybe thought about for this presentation that we'd love to hear. So maybe they invite us back. We'll do a, a How to Debate the Skeptics 2.0 with uh, new different types of objections. But I thought this was funny. So I was researching on the Bigfoot Field Researchers website a little bit for this presentation, and they had some objections listed on their site too, and I found one that was just too hilarious not to bring up in our presentation today because me and Vic have some personal experience with this if so many people report seeing bigfoot how come no one just doesn't shoot one with a tranquilizer it is that's a very <laughs> very hard i know question. to get a trank right you really need to know how much the person weighs and also it's not like boom and they fall over anything like geodon haldol ativan normal tranks that we use on humans Take an extensive period of time, depending on the amount of adrenaline the person has. It can, the person can have it go into effect within five minutes. Still, not a great amount of time to be chasing a Bigfoot through the woods, but it could also take an hour. An yep. hour, it's going to get away within an hour and then find a nice place to go take a nap. And then sometimes it just doesn't even work. Like, when, like to, to, to really think about, like, the range that you have to get up to to shoot something with a train. Like, if you have, like, the tranquilizer handguns, you have to be within 5 to 50 feet of something. You heard the stories that some of the other researchers were talking about, about how some Bigfoot, some Bigfoot research, like the ones that are up to 7, 9, 15, 20 feet. Yeah, walk up to something like that with a tranq pistol and try to shoot it and see what happens. How terrible that sounds. Or if these are something that'll like rip trees out of the ground and flip them and flip them over and things like that, uh, would that be something you'd really want to do? Like, I'm pretty sure too, the hunters that are going that deep into the woods, these researchers that are going that deep into the woods, they're not going, man, if I'm going that deep, man, I got to pack my tranquilizer gun. That's a good idea. Like, even if you think about most paranormal, like, witnesses and stuff, too, like, people that see these things like campers, RV in their house. Have you guys ever seen a Bigfoot? When was the last time you went, oh, Bigfoot, let me go get my trank gun I got in the house. Like, it's just not something that's really feasible. I, it's, just, it's just one of the dumbest arguments that I've just, that I've just ever heard from people. They actually, um, they've actually done studies. Another reason about why this is bad, can you talk about how big uh, and smart Bigfoot really is? Uh, in hospitals, in psychiatric hospitals, they did studies trying to see if they could use trank darts on people. And what ended up happening was people were smart enough to go, oh, I'm about to get shot with this dart. I'm going to block it. And then now they have a syringe in hand. 
Yeah, they, they, you have now supplied it, the person with a effective weapon. It did not go well, and that's why you don't see them in hospitals or why they typically don't use them on people. Um, so just FYI, that's probably uh, one of the big reasons about why uh, that doesn't work. Even beyond that, if you have a really good grasp on something's weight and then you use that to measure out what's going to be an effective tranquilizer, that's actually not really enough if you're trying to be effective and take something down in a short period of time. You need to know how much of that is muscle mass. You need to know how much of that is fat. And looking at a Bigfoot, I can't even begin to tell you how much of his weight is muscle. It looks like a lot, but I, I don't know it. You can really even relate this back to another argument that you might get. Well, how come somebody just doesn't shoot a Bigfoot? If they see one, right? That was something that I really, I'm from Indiana. I get it. Like, I'm from Indiana. And when I first started really looking into the paranormal, um, I started researching all of these different paranormal accounts. People would encounter Bigfoots. And if you really think about all these times that people encounter Bigfoots or they see other paranormal entities, very rarely do you ever hear people add to that story, and then I pulled out my gun, like, to try to shoot one of these things. And a big reason for that most of the time is most People are typically not to train to have that necessarily be that reaction. The shock value can actually uh, cause most people typically to forget and be very in the moment for something like that. There's actually a lot of even stories involving hunters with guns that have had that, that have talked about like whenever they've seen one or they've even seen things like a bear or another animal where they sort of get like frozen in the moment for that. And that's the reason why they, that, that they don't just immediately just turn their gun on the creature. So I think that's another thing to think about. Beyond that... I'm not totally convinced that it's the best idea. We're talking about a large animal with a high amount of muscle mass. An emu can take multiple bullets before going down, and this thing looks more durable than an emu. It might just be able to clear the distance and break you in two. It looks like it probably could do it. Yeah, I, you know, if somebody's like decides, you know what, I'm going to shoot this large creature, you might have a bad day. It may just end up going in a real bad, and it may be in a bar. And so that may be a big reason about why people don't typically respond that way. And probably that's why it's not a good idea. But we're 30 minutes into our presentation. And whenever we do this, we really love to get feedback from people, from the audience. We want you guys to participate in this. Have any of you guys ever heard of an objection about Bigfoot's existence that you've heard from skeptics? We'd love to see if we can give you guys some responses to it. I'll wait. There we go. Yeah. 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 uh, I've made a lot of friends with park rangers back in Indiana. And if you have the option to do that, go for it. They will tell you some amazing stories. Yes. I haven't heard so much about them spotting things such as like Sasquatch within the Indiana area, but they will die on the hill that there are large black cats in Indiana in the deep woods. And I can even say like from personal account, biologists say there are not wild boars still in Indiana, but if you go deep in Hoosier National Forestry, they're freaking there. They will chase your horses They're out there. They're aggressive. You can learn so much from these people who really spend a lot of time in that environment, but they will not report it because they're at fear of losing their career, and it takes a lot amount uh, or a high amount of education to actually enter that field. And it's one of those ones, once your reputation goes, it's like a doctor. You don't have a career anymore. Yes, sir. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What do you think? Geodon, how it all out of end mix? Yeah, there's a lot of different types of medic. Yeah, so like in case, in case, because I know they didn't have the microphone, the question was how much, like, how much would or what would you have to be able to use that to be able to do that? I mean, that's really hard. Geodon, how it all things that are a lot of common uh, sedatives that, that people use. The biggest problem that I think that people would run into is they probably would not know how much to use. I mean, it's like I said, you, if something is six foot to 20 to up to 20 to up to 20 feet tall, it's not going to be something that you could just use a trank and again off that it often can when they use it when they use those on animals like when they use those on animals like at zoos or in preserves to do that down it can take several minutes for for that particularly to 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 even to kick in the danger behind that would just be ridiculous for anybody wanting to do that yeah and it's yeah Yeah. You're probably gonna need your carrier to be about that wide, and I don't think I don't think they make dart shooters that wide. Like you would have to be really big. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I, I I get what you're going at, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. No, actually, we're we like to when we're talking about a skeptical <laughs> argument, we like to start from the area where we're we're going to have the most common ground and then work away from it. Yeah. So if I'm arguing with a skeptic, I'm going to start with the idea that it's a biological animal, just because that's the closest common ground we're going to have. Personally, when it comes to what is the true nature of Bigfoot, there are too many accounts of it doing things that do not exist normally. It's uh, idiopathic to regular reality. Calling it just an animal, I, I really think that that's not my personal opinion. Or if it is an animal, it's an animal that's learned to do some things that would cross into like this high, strangest metaphysical realm. I don't think that science is equipped fully to address it, like the question of Bigfoot because you need understandable, repeatable practices as part of the scientific method and i don't think anything involving bigfoot is really repeatable and it's definitely when you look at it at the full tapestry not understandable with our current understanding of physics it's beyond us it, yeah. it just is yeah if you I, I get where you're coming from like if it's possible like a spiritual creature or something else like that like, there's a lot of stories involving people that do shoot bigfoots and it's like the bullets bounced off, or it seemed unfazed, it didn't care, and these other sorts of things. So there, I've I've definitely heard that argument before. But sometimes when you're been, when you're when you're debating with a skeptic, and you're like, well, it's a spiritual creature, you may be digging yourself a deeper hole uh, <laughs> in that situation if they're that dug in. Um, so that's why when we approach this, we approached it from the idea that it being a, a 
like a living hominid or a primate or something like that. It's undiscovered. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then at that point, you're going to have to have a whole, there's whole different swaths of ideas about how to address that, too. So, oh, yeah. Um, anybody just came in? We're taking arguments about well, objections that you've heard for why Bigfoot doesn't exist to help people practice uh, to, to give counter responses. So are there any other arguments that you guys have heard or arguments or arguments you dis, or arguments you guys hate that you've heard? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. There's no remains of dumping. Where to find them? Oh, yeah, yeah. If we're talking fossil record, I legitimately believe we likely already have it. Like I said, like, you pointed a gigantopithecine, show it to someone nowadays, they're going to say, oh, yeah, that's it. If you're talking about, like, um, the ring pindek, if you show someone, like, uh, an example of Homo habilis, another ancient primate, it, it, if you saw one of those nowadays, you just say, oh, yeah, that's it. And that's an indication it at least has a fossil record. One of the problems is bones break down somewhat quickly in the natural environment. Finding them is difficult. And also sun, exposure to water, especially floating in water, which causes maturation. All these things destroy DNA. Like, uh, you've probably heard of stories of them finding, like, globsters, these weird, like, sea creature things washed up on shore. People ask, like, why don't they DNA analysis this? That thing's been floating in water. The, it's gone through maturation. It's bloated. Just absolutely destroys the DNA. Salt absolutely destroys the DNA. Exposure to sunlight absolutely destroys the DNA. There's going to be just nothing usable left in that, and that's going to be true about most things that have been left to sit in the environment for a prolonged period of time. DNA is just not that resilient. I mean, how many times, too, like, have you ever heard of people going, like, way out in the wilderness finding a body and be like, you know what? I'm going to bring that back with me. <laughs> like, like, you know, they're coming up with that particular idea that we're going to be bringing out, too. And if these creatures typically live that far out deep in the wilderness, like, again, you're not going to be finding their bodies because we're not out there. Like, that's not the like that's not where we're searching. Like, when people, when I bring up my argument about, like, say, like, the colossal squid, immediately what people will bring up, they'll be like, well, no, I believe that about the ocean, Chris. You know, the ocean's deep. It's very deep. There's, uh, there, I totally believe that there's things down there in the ocean that typically that we haven't discovered. We know more about space than we do about the ocean. You know how big the American Northwest is? Like how much space is out there? Or how big some of these re the rainforest is down down in the Amazon or, or, or like in India out there in these areas? These are deep, multiple hundred acre, like areas of wilderness that we just haven't, like discovered and there's a lot of other animals that we didn't even know exist that we thought were extinct that we didn't know existed uh, a good example to bring up silverback gorillas didn't even know they existed until 1902 that's another one too like people that had stories about them we've only known about those for about a hundred years about a hundred about a about a hundred years so in the grand scheme of time that's not really that long and to be fair many people have been telling stories about these silverback apes that have been lived that lived out in the wilderness too before 1902 so it's not a it's not it's not exactly fair so. all right um i think we got time for like one more question or one more objection in case that anybody has ever heard about the existence of bigfoot
Okay. That's no problem. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much. If you guys ever want to check out our podcast or check out some of our paranormal content, uh, you guys can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, YouTube. Uh, our our podcast is on all major recording platforms. You guys can check us out. We put up content every single week for you guys. But thank you guys so much, Virginia Squatch Festival. But until next time, keep believing. Because we'll keep listening.